till välkommen. Du lyssnar på en inspelning från internationell författarscen på Kulturhuset Stadsteatern med Max Porter i samtal med Anneli Duva, Sveriges Radio. Mitt namn är Ingemar Fast och jag är konstnärlig ledare för litteraturscenen i detta stora allkonsthus vid Sägelstorg i Stockholm. Låt samtalet ta sin början. Good evening to you all. Very welcome and very welcome to you, of course. Thank you. <laughs> yes. And we were talking out there and we decided we'd start with some reading. Yes. And we'll end with a little bit of reading as well and then we'll talk in between. <laughs> and you can tell us all what you'd like to start by reading. Well, let's just start. Yes. <laughs> they'll, they'll soon find out. Yes. I love the Schubert. How happy I am to hear the Schubert. Crow. This one is true. Once upon a time there was a demon who fed on grief. The delicious aroma of raw shock and unexpected loss came wafting from the doors and windows of a widower's sad home. Therefore, the demon set about finding his way in. One evening, the babes were freshly washed and the husband was telling them tales when there was a knock on the door. A rat-a-tat-tat. Open up, open up, it's me from 56. It's Keith. Keith Coleridge. I need to borrow some milk. But the sensible father knew that there was no number 56 on the quiet little street, so he did not open the door. The next night, the demon tried again. Rat-a-tat-tat. Open up, open up. I'm from parenthesis press. It's Paul, Paul Graves. I heard the news. I'm truly gutted it's taken me this long to come over. I've brought a pizza and some toys for the boys. But the attentive father knew there had been a peat from parenthesis, and a fill from parenthesis, but never a pall from parenthesis, so he did not open the door. The next night, the demon ran at the door, flashing blue and crackling, rat-a-tat-tat, bang-bang, open up, police, we know you're in there, this is an emergency, you have five seconds to open the door, or we will smash our way in. And the worldly grieving man knew a bit about the law and sensed a lie. The demon went away and wondered what to do next. He was tabloid despicable, so a powerful plan came to him. Rat-a-tat-tat-tat. Knock, knock, knock. Boys, it's me. It's mum. Darling, are you there? Boys, open the door. It's me. I'm back. Sweetheart, boys, let me in. And the babes flung their duvets back in abandon, swung their little legs over the edge of the bed and scampered down the stairs. The chambers of their baffled baby hearts filled with yearning and they tingled. They bounded down towards before, before, before all this. The father, drunk on the voice of his beloved, raced down after them. The sound of her voice was stinging like a moon-dragged starvation surging into every hopeless, raw, vacant pore, undoing exquisite undoing. We're coming, Mum! Their friend and house guest, who was a crow, stopped them at the door. My loves, he said. My dear, sorry loves. It isn't her. Go back to bed and let me deal with this. It isn't her. 
The boys floated their crumpled crepe paper dad back up, one under each arm steering his weightlessness, and they laid him down to sleep. Then they sat at the window looking down and watching what happened, and they liked it very much, for boys will be boys. Crow went out, smiled, sniffed the air, nodded good evening, and back kicked the door shut behind him. Then Crow demonstrated to the demon what happens when a crow repels an intruder to the nest if there are babies in that nest. One loud crunk, a hop, a tap on the floor, a little distracted dance, a honk, swivel and lift as a discus swung up, but not released, but driven down, atomically fixed and explosive. The beak hurled down hammer hard into the demon's skull with a crack and a spurt, then smashed onwards down through bone, brain, fluid and membrane into squirting spine, vertebra snap, vertebra crunch, vertebra nibbled and spat. And one, two, three, four, five, all the way down, quick as a piranha, nipping, cutting, disassembling the material of the demon, splashing in blood and spinal gunk and shit and piss, unraveling innards, whipping ligaments and nerves about joyous spaghetti, tangled wool, hammering, clawing, ripping, snipping, slurping, burping, frankly loving the journey of hurting, hurting, hurting. And for Crow, it was like a lovely bin full of chip papers and ice cream and currywurst and baby robins and every nasty treat. Physically invigorating, like a westerly above the moor, like a bouncy castle elm in the wind, like old family pleasures of the deep species. And Crow stands thrilled in a pool of filth, patiently sweeping and towing remains of demon into a drain hole. His work done, Crow struts and leaps up and down the street, issuing warnings while the pajama-clad boys clap and cheer behind glass silent from their bedroom window. Crow issues warnings to the wide city. Warnings in verse, warnings in many languages, warnings with bleeding edges, warnings with humor, warnings with dance and sublow threats and voodoo and puns and spectacular ancient ugliness. Satisfied with this defense of the nest, Crow wanders in to find some food. <laughs> <laughs> what a nice way to start the evening. Yes, and I have to start, since you read it the way you read it now, because you told me that it's actually going to be turned into a play. Yes. Uh, yes, it's going to be theatre. Yeah. And now the way you read it, it seems quite suited for the theatre. We shall see. Yes. I, like, I like to think that the front row would be covered in blood <laughs> and feathers and feathers <laughs> yes. and, and that there would be children clapping yes I did was in a play when I was a child I was in how funny this has come up today I was in a, a Sweeney Todd yes and I was Tobias <laughs> and it was my job at the very end of the play to leap off the front of the stage and slit Sweeney Todd's throat and we had blood pumps and the blood pump was malfunctioning <laughs> so poor Sweeney was kneeling going <laughs> <laughs> in, inside his jacket and then eventually it worked and it just went <laughs> all over the headmaster it was wonderful perhaps I've now realised that's the inspiration for yes this. <laughs> this is funny in many ways because I was really I was really going to ask you because when I was preparing this I also happened to read a small essay that was published by a Swedish author called Carolina Ramqvist mm -hmm. it's called uh, About Night more or less, and she writes about writing. And on the very first page, mm -hmm. 
she writes, uh, this is just, I mean, it's in Swedish, but she writes more or less, it's impossible to talk to somebody about a book that you've written. Mm. It's the most difficult thing of all. Because then in another place, a few pages later, she writes, it's because it, it sort of becomes instead of the book. Yes. Do you agree with her? Yes. I think the two things, the talking about a book and the physical presence of the book in the world. I mean, I say two things. I'm going to now list many things. Yes. The physical presence of the book in the world, in people's hands, and then this sense that you are that the work you've created is voyaging into other people's minds, and 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 plant-like, growing into other people's experiences of grief and loss and love and poetry and all the things, is is as close to the definition of uncanny as I can think of yes. for me, in, in as much as it's deeply pleasurable and and un uncomfortable, frightening, odd. Um, I, I think I get nervous if, if I'm not allowed to do a reading because then I think that we're going to be talking about this thing as if it's an artifact, as if it's something out in, uh, as a part of an economic machinery or a cultural machinery. And I think, but it will be misunderstood. Yes. And I will suffer from the loneliness of being misunderstood, which is something I'm terrified of. And therefore, I must read. Mm. I must shower the front row mm. with spittle. <laughs> Otherwise, they won't know yeah. what but it is. Because that's a, a way of avoiding the instead of. Yeah. yeah, because you're actually presenting it. Yeah. Yes, and it's like home. Yes, and I'm st I'm surprised th uh, that I've done that. I've th that the book has had this funny life it's had, and it still feels like home. And I don't know whether that's uh, because I'm not a writer yet. And until I write more things, I won't be. So I don't know whether that's just because that's how it feels for writers with mm. books, or whether it's because this is such a part of me, mm. having been something I thought about so hard for so long. Yes, and she also, this Carolina Ronquist, mm. she also quotes another author on the front page, and uh, it's Bodil Malmsten, a Swedish poet. And she writes something like, I've translated this very, it's not as an author I'm writing this. While I write, I write. Mm. The author comes afterwards. While writing, I'm someone who writes. So is everyone that writes, mm. each one by him or herself. Mm. And that's kind of what you, what you were saying too. Absolutely. And yeah. for me, I had the, double, the, the, ple the extra privilege of it being a debut, and therefore I didn't expect it to find any readers. It was a private thing, and not, not until many months later, and possibly not even now, am I comfortable saying I'm a writer. I am certainly the person that made this work. Yes, but whether I'm a writer, I'm yet to discover. Because mm. next time, I will it will be a, a, a conscious thing. I'll open a computer and I'll try and tell a story, and I'll have to have problems to deal with, like plot and character. I didn't have any of mm. those problems. I had the problem of this mm. thing and how to fix this problem with formal solutions or uh, emotional solutions. Yes, and, and I want to hear more about that, of course. But I also want to ask you, <laughs> because mm. in your book you have you have a scene where the father mm. goes to Oxford. To listen yeah. to Ted Hughes, <laughs> yeah. with, who is his, I mean, he's writing about Ted Hughes, but that's later, I guess he hadn't yeah. started, because this was when it's he was when young. That's when he's a, a fan. A yes, a fan he's boy. a fan. And yeah. he goes to an event like this. Yeah. And it made me think about 
the events mm. like this. Mm. And now you've experienced it from the other side. Yeah. And do you also feel, because this father, he wants something. I mean, he's there three yeah. hours ahead of time. Mm. And he he's so eager to, to pose his question, which yeah. he does at the end. And he also, but he also expects something to happen. Yes. And have you felt that, do you, especially since your topic is yes. so personal, your topic is grief, have you, you, you must meet people all the time who kind of expect you to, to be something more than just Max Porter. <laughs> <laughs> I should apologize in advance <laughs> uh, for any disappointment. <laughs> I, I am just Max Porter. Um, well, I, this is the thing about writing about grief, is that um, people, and birds, and poetry, yes. and childhood. Mm -hmm. I seem to have picked some topics yes, that people yes, are, yes. are keen to share on. And, and, and so you become this, this receptacle, and people queue up and pour their stories into you. I, I'm new enough at this to find that an extraordinary privilege. I have heard stories this year of the symbolic function of crows in, in many, many different cultures, uh, superstition, loss, people's stories of loss. People have told me that it's been 35 years since the tragic event and only now, with some of the uses of language in this book, has something clicked and opened. And you know, uh, Stories of catharsis, and I certainly didn't think about catharsis when I was writing <laughs> it, because it's a, it's, a, it's a concept I'm wary of. Mm. Um, a bit suspicious of people that write things to be cathartic. Um, so the accident of, of me writing something which I, now, uh, which I now find is not only cathartic but generative, mm. that, that is causing people to go and look at the world slightly differently, that's wonderful. Mm. And, then, and then there are more basic things, like people are reading Emily Dickinson that hadn't read Emily Dickinson. That, I can just, that, that's an achievement. Mm. I can tick that <laughs> off. Um, I, I because I the title is a play with... Is a play on Dickinson. Yes. I, I think that it's a funny thing to expect authors... If, if you know, an author is a person that, that has sat alone in a room writing a book, and, it, and, we, and we mustn't expect... I talk of the culture industry, but we, it's a funny thing that we expect those same people to be able to sit on stage and talk about something. So I'm quite forgiving when writers can't or don't want to, mm. but I also think that you are putting something into the world. It's an exchange of materials, and therefore the, 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 the other way must be as interesting to you. Mm. I worry, you know, writers get to a certain level and they, they're very keen on the putting out, but they don't want any coming in. Mm. And, I, and I worry about that. I think I have a, a baseline Freudian suspicion of that because it's, 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 it's worrying. It, it suggests that you're allowed to piss in the pond, but the mm. pond's not allowed to splash you or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I worry about mm. that because that, I think mm. that it, we are, we are, it is an odd, it is an odd uh, and, and small thing, the creation of work, the... The, the making of art to try and better express this pe the peculiar s state of human consciousness. And if you're not listening to what people are saying in response to mm -hmm. the work, then you can't be that interested in the, in the fundamental mechanics of it in the first place. So I, I worry about that. <laughs> but as I say, I'm still so new to it that, it, that, it's, that it's dazzling, <laughs> that it, it's, yeah. it's wonderful. And how did it come about? Because I read that you were, you were writing a few hours every night after your children had fallen asleep. And you had yeah, this before they woke up. <laughs> <again>. <laughs> yes, and you had a small, a tiny room. Yeah, and you were there. And how did it start? And what did you think you were going to do when you started? Tell us about it. Well, um, I can speak of this because she's here, mm. and, and she might find it funny. But my mm. wife has labelled a habit I have um, of 
do we have the word in English pootling? When you pootle about, you just pootle looking at things no. and I and I poodle in my flat and I would arrange a little box I'd made and then I'd put a little collage up and I'd fiddle with it and then I'd get my Lego figures and I'd put them up and she calls it portering. I'm portering <laughs> around the flat and part of my portering has always been to be drawing and sketching and then cutting something out and then giving it to someone and then making it into a birthday card and then building it, you know. And it's never, I've never had an end in sight. I just have a compulsion to make things and, but, uh, but that uh, over the years became a frustration. And so originally, I, I, I had an impetus, which was a, an encounter with a, a friend of my dead father's that was enough of an emotional trigger. Um, I was upset by the conversation I'd had with him, but also relieved. And I felt this sort of whooshing of mm. the truth and, and, a, and a sort of reckoning with some facts about my dad that was enough of a motivation. I thought, I'm going to write the thing. You uh, found out things that you didn't yeah, know? Yeah, I hadn't seen him since my no? father had died. Yes. So stories of, of the sort of end of my father's life. Um, some secret things. Because some for to tell the people that have read, in your life it was your, your father who yeah. died. My father died when I was six and a half. Yes. Um, and I had a very different upbringing. For those of you that have read the book, I, you know, very different upbringing. My wife is alive and well. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so then, so mm -hmm. I, I had this this sense that I now was going to give myself permission to write the book I wanted to write. And I and I visualized these three bowls. One of which had uh, the sibling story in the sibling as one character, the sibling relationship as a character. And that was something I'd been scratching up in my notebooks. I had some little short stories where I tried that out. I thought it would be interesting to do a, a, a sequence of these short stories that are that the brothers are unfixed. No names, no first person, third person, no chronology necessarily. And through the whole, you get a portrait of the sibling relationship that is truer somehow than any conventional novelistic device of locking them in. One is called Stephen, one is called Paul, whatever. Mm. So that was in one bowl. Then there was the story of grief in the third bowl, and I knew I had some things I wanted to say about that. And then I started to think about what would go in the, the, the central bowl, which I guess we'll, we'll <laughs> talk about, um, the crow in the room. Mm. <laughs> um, and so I started um, emailing myself these little bits. Um, I'm a Luddite. I'm not, not used to technology, and people roll their eyes when I tell them this, but it was an extraordinary revelation to me that you can keep a Gmail draft and, and add to it. I thought maybe I had some kind of enhanced version of <laughs> Gmail <laughs> that was allowing me to do this. So I would write, um, those of you who read the book will know it's, it's, it, it's, it primarily functions through juxtaposition. So I would write a, a, a little story of these, these boys and send it to myself and, and think about it. Uh, and then the following day I might respond to it. And that was the way I built it. So mm. it was much more like collage and I make collages. So perhaps that was how I arrived at that way of doing it. So I would say... When did you close yourself in the room and decide... Much later. Yes. So at the moment, I'm still at work. Yes. <laughs> being paid mm -hmm. to do work. Yes. And quickly pinging myself a story. And then I would think about it. And, and really, you know, even, even uh, on the sofa at night, I'd think, well, I've got something very sentimental there. And I'm aware of some of the dangers of, of that kind of writing. And I would need to, therefore, juxtapose it now with something domestic or then I'd need a fable, and then I would need something. And then when I had a good amount of it, I, I got an old laptop with Microsoft Word on it, and I started to write properly. Yes. And, and what was your ambition? Did you know exactly what you, more or less, what you wanted to do? Or No. no. I mean, I can speak in, in, in quite 
pompous ways, perhaps, about what I wanted to do. Yes, do so. I, I wanted to. I wanted <laughs> yes. to make myself upset. Um, I wanted to destroy. I literally felt like I wanted to set fire to the section of the of the gift shop that is condolence cards. And I also felt that I wanted to say something to this big, flabby, self-indulgent um, beast that is the, the novel, the English novel. I felt I wanted to poke at it. Um, and I felt, ultimately, and in quite a selfish way, I wanted to give myself the electric shock I get when I read hybrid work and, when mm. and, and as a reader, mm. when I move between the pleasure I get, the inexplicable, rich pleasure I get when I move from reading uh, the story of Icarus with my seven-year-old at bedtime to moving into the bathroom and reading just a page of, of a philosophy book and then dipping into a, 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 an Alice Munro short story before bed. I wanted all these pleasures, so it was like a sweet shop. Mm. And so it was, uh, I, as I say, I was building this collage of all my favourite things with a simple agenda, which was to get this right, to get this story of these boys right. Mm. Always I was doing it for the boys. Because um, you've said yourself, uh, I think, somewhere, that it's, uh, it's really about chaos, shock and childhood. I don't know, and then I just thought it's about love, loss, and literature. I wanted to have an alliteration as well. Very nice. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, you, you all say of it those are right. all of those things. Yes. I, I, but I, I wrote about um, I wrote about grief deliberately. Loss. Yes. I wrote about loss deliberately. I wrote about literature accidentally. I didn't realize until I was doing it that it was also going to be a vehicle for me to say some of the things I wanted to say about poetry and about the vertical axis of, of, of influence, the canon whereby we are, you know, that, uh, well, actually, you, you will all know the Larkin quote. Um, Which one? They fuck you up, your mum and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. Um, I, 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 I recognise that this is true. Um, and, 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 you know, thank you to all our mums and dads. But I, I also wanted to speak of the lateral axis, of the sideways influence, and the fact that you, especially when you're a reader, you don't just read Whitman, then Dickinson, then Plath, then Jory Gray. And that's mm. a preposterous way to think about it. And yet that is the way we've built the canon. That's the way we've locked these people into the way we'll historicize them and read them. And I think it's the, the, and such an odd thing to do it to, literature, this great spilling organic thing. Yes. So I wanted to get, I wanted polished philosophy to be all the time nudged by scatological humor. I wanted deep thinking and patterning about the work of Ted Hughes to be nudged at by a child going, Ted Hughes, never even heard of him, yes. you know, that irreverence. Um, and, so I, and so I started to realise that was what it was going to be about. But I also felt that the, what happens is that the poetry and the words, mm. they get to be just as tactile, just as concrete mm. as the things. It's, it's like they are also taking shape almost yeah. in the room. It's, it's really no difference between the poetry and no. the sofa, or what? That's a lovely thing to say. Um, that's what I, I. I mean, I. I mean, but that's fundamentally right because it is a book about what would happen if your if your obsession with a particular body of poems literally yes. knocks on your door. 
So it could have been the, 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 the songs of Bob Dylan. Another unfashionable thing to do now, <laughs> I suppose. Um, but, but, you know, that, it, that you've thought about something so much and then your, your, the, the carefully constructed architecture of your psyche and of your domestic arrangements of your life suddenly goes... Mm. It's not pr you're not, there's no preparation for it. It's a sudden trauma. And therefore, what happens if something slips in that yes. gap that, 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 is all your, that is all your learning and all your energies? And he says, I cannot believe that I was obsessing about this thing now when the greatest tragedy of my life occurred. Yes. Um, and, that, and, and, that, and that that is poetry, and that that encourages him to vandalize and play with and speak to and speak back to the poet, happens to be, uh, be quite close to my own philosophy of, of reading, which mm. is that this stuff must not be let... We must not let this die. <gasps> if, we are not, if we are not picking up the poets out of the ground and rereading them, and testing them against our own times, and vandalizing them affectionately with love, the critical gesture is, is homage, is, is, is affection, then we may as well forget about them. Mm. I think it's the most terrible thing, and especially in, I don't know how it is here, but in the UK there was this sort of sense when I was growing up that with poetry particularly, you need to have gone to Oxford and possibly be a middle-aged white male in order to understand this material. And, and, and what you're being handed by these men is a key to, to the one way of understanding it that is accepted. I thought that was just preposterous. Yes, and so then as I grew up and became someone that worked in books, I felt the same mechanism was everywhere I was looking. The idea that you would walk into a bookshop and be a women's fiction reader mm. and that therefore you would respond to carefully carefully crafted signifiers <laughs> on the covers of books like a woman's legs and you go that must be one for me <laughs> but you mustn't stray you mustn't stray into the, the the man's books where a hooded man in a snowy street scene will be you know with a splash of blood but yet you were a, a very very successful bookseller well, uh, but partly because I I, 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 I made a name for myself <laughs> as, as being the kind of anti-amazon kid okay because the algorithm is so daft isn't it I understand why we might need systems of categorization for pharmaceuticals, but for books, mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. this this extraordinary mm -hmm. body of work that is itself trouble, mm -hmm. it is itself an act of aggression against these systems. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in a way, it's 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 years of standing in a bookshop thinking, you know, I remember we would get the Tony Blair biography in <laughs> my life or whatever it was called, <laughs> and we would put the piece of paper over the letter F <laughs> and put it in um, fiction. Mm. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't <laughs> that's a slightly tragic example of, of my activism. <laughs> that's a gentle example but of my But you were rewarded, I weren't you? I mean, you were considered to Are be... Are you referring to my prize? <laughs> um, what she's very sweetly referring to oh, is uh, I won a the Bookseller of the Year Award. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and I went, I went, and I collected it. Mm. I didn't send anyone else. Mm. <laughs> but also... <laughs> I got a golden nib, but, but and my wife said, that is unspeakably hideous, <laughs> you're not having it in the house. <laughs> you can always have it in the loo, that's what people I do. With, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Or, yes. or, or just wear it. Yes. Like, like run DMC <laughs> around my neck. <laughs> but 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 when you'd actually finished this book, mm. you showed it to a friend of yours who who's an editor. Yeah. Yes, and she loved it. Yeah. I but she so. also said, "What am I going to do with it? I don't know what to do with it." Or she, she has very sweetly huh? never. Uh, huh? She's she said that she never thought that she was reading it officially. 
And what she said was, I don't know what you will do with this, but my, my hunch is that this will either be the first of three, three or four, it will be the first in the sequence of things that you'll put together, or you must find an illustrator. Mm. And that was a very significant moment for me because when I looked back at it, because it had been faintly humiliating in a way. It would be a bit like going to the gym for a long time and then saying, and then getting a mirror and going, ta-da, oh God, <laughs> I'm still a pot-bellied, skinny, pale. <laughs> when I printed it out, it was, it was single-spaced and double-sided. It was about eight pages. <laughs> so this big thing I'd worked on for so long, which I felt was a significant effort, was pathetic. Mm. I thought that there was something jammed in the printer. Mm. <laughs> And so uh, then when I, I got that feedback from her and I, and I printed it out with some white space in it and I started to think possibly actually maybe someone would typeset this more like a book of poems, mm -hmm. more like a play, then I thought, well, it must never be illustrated because I, I, if I have one hope for the reader of this book, it's that they would go inside the white space of the book and that the flat would be their flat and the sibling relationship would be their sibling relationship and they might even... I don't want to be prescriptive about how people read books, but it's not a book to read on the Kindle because I think you must pause as you turn the page and, and, and breathe between scene changes, as it were. Yes. And there is, in fact, a, by accident, by glorious, crow, mischievous ac accident, there is a blank page. We'll, we'll get to it, I think, because it's the bit I'm, I'm going to read to you. Mm -hmm. but, but I said to them, there's a blank page with no page number on why did you do that and they said we, we it's an accident but it's this final very significant moment where mm. every character in the book draws breath mm. um, and so that kind of magic that mm. kind of ac lovely accidental magic I I started to believe in it that it might work as a as a printed thing mm. and then I was lucky enough the, the typesetter as, as, as has been replicated in different territories now was very intuitive. Yes. And I had never really shared my work with people before. Because if you give, I give my stuff away, the, the art I make, I give away. And people can only say thank you. Yes. <laughs> so it was the first time people had given me constructive feedback and then worked with me. So when I first got the PDF, I opened it at work, I was really amazed that she had guessed and, and felt her way into the text. So for example, sometimes the text just cracks across the page or sometimes there is unexpected indentations and more than that she loved each of the voices specifically mm. with, with, with nuance so that the boys are typeset slightly differently to dad so each of them has their own rhythm on the page and each of them have their own grammatical rules there is no consistency apart from within the sections mm. which means I get lots of <laughs> Amazon reviews saying it's not it's full of errors <laughs> <laughs> not my favorite it's not even written in English <laughs> so, thank you very much um, but yeah that, that that so then so then I realized I would I should send it to somebody and I thought it's a, it's in some respects a love letter to Faber and yes. to Ted Hughes and so I sent it to Faber and what did they say? Um, well, she didn't say anything for three weeks because she was so. She said she's so nervous because when people you know in publishing send you their books, it's usually awful. So she put it in a drawer, I think, and <laughs> hoped that I'd never be in touch with her again. <laughs> um, and then I still have her email. She emailed me saying I'm on a train platform and I'm in tears, and I will be calling you soon about this strange little book. So yeah. 
And then it evolved, really. I mean, did you expect this to happen? That is, was <laughs> In no. what possible world no, could no, I say yes? No, you couldn't, no. <laughs> I, I just needed a way to get to the Kulturhaus in, in Stockholm, and I thought this would be my fastest route. <coughs> No, no I, but I there are two sides to it, yeah. because, uh, of, of course, no one can expect this to happen. But on the other hand, you did something that you were so certain of yourself, and mm. it was so personal, mm. and it was so uh, special in many ways, that, I mean, either it sort of disappears, because yeah. nobody understands it, mm. or... It is something that a lot of people say, wow, this is not like anything else. This is fantastic. Oh, well, uh, uh, well, the truthful answer then is, is that uh, I, what I thought might happen was that it would be one of those little books that, that, that a certain little cluster of nice people like, mm -hmm. soulful, <laughs> maybe intelligent dudes of my acquaintance mm -hmm. would like it. And, and, and people would say, I read your book. And I go, oh, wow, <laughs> thank you. And I thought maybe Faber would sell a thousand copies and that would be lovely. Mm. Um, I, what I recognize now is that as a publisher, I have to be quite um, worldly in my understanding of this, is that sometimes, and we can't predict it, and you absolutely cannot marketize it or imitate it, as corporate publishing is desperate to do always, imitate one's successes. Sometimes books just have this very lovely little yes. life. Like, like The Guest Cat. Did you ever mm. read that lovely little Japanese <laughs> book, The Guest Cat? No, that, I, that I was one of those <laughs> word-of-mouth books. Mm -hmm. Strange, charming mm -hmm. little book. Off, off it went. Um, that it is a bird, that I wrote it to be bird-like, and it <laughs> has flown off, is just too magical <laughs> to even consider. Mm -hmm. um, and that it flies into different languages when it is so much a book about language. I, I never dreamt of it. Yes. And nothing gives me greater pleasure than the conversations with translators and with readers in foreign languages to talk about about that. Yes, because that's a challenge mm. to translate something like that, right? How many other languages are you able to, to read yourself to? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm English. I'm f I'm it's, a hateful, it's a hateful thing about us and me. I, I was, my French is good enough to, to enjoy reading the French one, and, mm. I, and I had a good relationship with my French translator, Charles, mm. who is just glorious. Mm. And he said to me, he's like a, it's like a John Coltrane saxophone solo. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and I want to understand every note. Um, so we went through it note by note. And what was amazing about that was particularly with the crow sections that, that in English people just thought it was noise. Mm. They thought it was experimental writing and, and they, they didn't understand it, but they recognized that it was part of what I was trying to say about mm. the emotional, the sort of soundscape of, of, of trauma. Yes. But Charles mm. would not sat be, s be satisfied <laughs> with that. And he wanted the etymological explanation of everything, and, uh, which I could do. I can, I can explain why I used the word thunt. It doesn't, doesn't, you know. So we talked through every word of the book, and it was glorious. Mm. Um, I, it's a challenge, but I, what I, would, I, I have a sort of template email I send if anyone asks me, which is that people must not feel that they need to get close to this. Because this is a book about the English language, and it's in some senses about Englishness and English hypocrisy and the, the residue, the sad, scabby residue of English church service funerals and all those. So it's quite a specifically English book. But the story, the simple story of the mother and uh, of the father and the two sons is, is, is I hope, 
universal. Yes. With a man whose wife has died, who loves his children, mm. and will never stop missing her. Mm. So my, I would encourage people to go with whatever they need to do to make it sing for them. So my Catalan translator has loaded up the crow with specifically Catalan things. The nursery rhymes, he has a kind of whiff of, this, of the political slogan because that's what's going to make him work mm. in Catalan. Mm. And I absolutely don't have, have any controlling yeah. instinct at all. Off he, off he flies. Mm. Yeah. And the crow itself, was it only because of Ted Hughes, the crow, or was it any no, other reason? No, he's all the crows. <laughs> <laughs> he, so he what is it about the crows? Oh, I'm uh, obsessed. Yes, I understand so, but why? I mean, shall I bore you with my <laughs> feelings about crows? <laughs> Who's wha I can't see anyone, so I can't we can't gauge no, this, no, this no. survey. But who, those of you that have watched crows videos on YouTube, I we, I work in one of those offices where they send round cat videos. <laughs> I mean, really, <laughs> when you've seen a cute cat, surely you've sort of exhausted the. The entertainment I was value. I to take this one, right? Oh, but I've already, I've now drunk from you both. You drank of them. from both. I'm okay, so, so I'll continue. I'm in good you. health. Yeah. Um, um, I, I, the thing is about the crow. So, say this is one way. I, I, the whole thing for me is, is that multiple readings are more interesting than one. So, if he's just a figment of the dad's imagination, that seems to be one avenue. Or he's just a metaphor for grief. That's just mm. one avenue. Mm. So I wanted many avenues simultaneously so the reader can be leaping between them. Yes. And that you get what I was describing as sort of electric shocks. Like, oh, he's with the kids now. He's actually part of the children's mm. life. He is a babysitter. And then you're like, oh, he's a psychoanalyst. Oh, but how can he be? Because the dad is, you know. Same with the crow. If he was Ted Hughes's crow from those crow poems, that would be so dull. And it would mean that I'd have to, to, to be investigating what Hughes did in those poems, which I'm not especially interested in. It's such an ugly book, but what I'm interested in is that Hughes wrote those, that masterpiece, that great 20th century bomb of, of, of feeling because, his, because he was suffering this extraordinary grief and guilt. Yes. And therefore, if that after crow... After his wife, After Sylvia, the death of Sylvia, Sylvia Plath. Plath. And just yeah. before the death mm. of his partner, Asya yeah, Werfel. Yeah. So if that crow were to come alive 30 years later with hindsight... He's read all the biographies of Ted Hughes. He's seen how this has become this sort of ghastly, voyeuristic, mm. prurient industry of speculation and obsession. And he's the Glastonbury crow. He's the tattooed crow. He's Brandon Lee. He's the Native American crow. He's the Icelandic crow. Mm. He's the Irish crow. He's this symbolic megastar. And, and it's 2016. What would he be like? I hope he'd be a lot funnier than Hughes's crow, who is not funny. I hope he'd have been watching these videos on YouTube and would know that you know, <laughs> neurologically and ornithologically crows are just awesome, so he's got to do some showing <laughs> off. But he's also ever so slightly metrosexual. You know, he, mm. he's, um, he's happy to do the colouring in with the children. And fundamentally, he has seen human history and what he has seen is not very nice. He says, you know, great men are liars or, or, or fuckers. And, and they have just relentlessly punished themselves and each other they they kill and they lie and they cheat and they and they have no they are so blind to the reality of their situation they live with denial and look at them frankly look at them pathetic they've screwed up their planet so badly they're now seeking ways to escape it on spaceships while half of them starve i mean really cretinous behavior so he sees this and 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 is fairly disgusted and yet the one thing that he just can't help being interested in his motherless children. Mm. 
children that have lost a mum, is something that he finds infinitely fascinating and tender, an opportunity for tenderness. And I, and I, that's why I brought him in. Mm. Yeah. Crows, oh, sorry, more about crows. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're monogamous. They choose a life partner. They never, they never repartner. They, um, they are the, one of the only animals, you know, way beyond chimps in terms of the, the, the um, synapses in their brain. We can't quite understand it yet, but they, they have a sense of humour. They're, they're ironic. Uh, they've been proven to be sarcastic, um, <laughs> which I just love. Um, they ha can solve these incredibly complex eight-part logic puzzles. There's a, there's a video you can watch on YouTube of a crow who has to hop between these plastic boxes and he has to work out that he has to put a stick inside the box to tilt the thing, to roll down the thing which gets his snack and then the stick's not long enough so he has to do it again. And he does it first time, <laughs> like bum, 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 hops up and chews his thing. It's just, and the guy watching it, who's a famous British bird expert, says, I cannot believe I've seen a bird do that. Yes. And you cannot believe, and, and I wanted some of that. Like, yes. So the idea that you mm. cannot really buy mm. this, that mm. this guy's got this imaginary crow living mm. with them, uh, like, forget it, leave it at the door. Mm. It's a crow, he'll do anything. Mm. You know. But this is, it's quite amazing the way you, you speak about this and the way you... Yeah, <laughs> is it I a mean, bit sad? No, I won't <laughs> say so, but, it, but it's the way you, you're so funny and also, I mean, you're so inspired and it's <laughs> such a lot of lust, really, the way. And, and then there is the other side of the book, which is... Mm. Which is grief. But that, that's but it, that's Yes, I, I understand. That life is terribly yeah, but not, funny. Not a lot of people manage to do that, you know. To, to mix them in, in that way that really works and that becomes so Don't special. You, do you find that disappointing in people? I do. I, yes, but I guess people are also kind of uh, protective about themselves. Yeah. I think it's mm. a possibly a failing of the whole species. Mm. That we aren't that, that that we haven't quite clicked that life is very very sad and very very funny. Yes. <laughs> because all the great art I love, you know, <laughs> from Cervantes through to Bacon screaming popes, mm. it, it, it's funny. Mm. Um, and I, and I felt that that I had read enough sad books that weren't show a, a little bit like I'd read enough very polished beautiful sentences about the experience of loss and, and in relation to faith. Mm. But I hadn't read any stuff where the domestic register is still included. So that even when children are grieving, they still can't help but laugh at a fart joke. Mm. Um, that is their nature. <laughs> yes. And that's, one, that's, why, that's why human beings are so mm. compelling, mm. so interesting. And it's what I look for in a novel. Mm. I look for that insight into the peculiar tragedy of the, of the condition. And, and also, what's very important in the book is the, the very, very strong decision almost to, to be able to stay in the grief, to stay mm. in mourning, to, mm. to be there as long as you want to be there, because there's also this demand almost from almost everybody, they want to help you, they yeah. want to tell you now it's over, they want to tell you you have yeah. to go on, and, uh, and you, you have a very, very strong... You, you well, I, I, it's, it's, it's what I mean about him in the gift shop. It's, mm. it's an anti-happiness industry book. Yes. I don't believe that human beings should be judged in relation to any notional normality that we are 
that we have ups and downs, illnesses and sadness, and then we get back to being okay, to being yes. normal. It's ludicrous. We, we, the brokenness is the part is, is is part of us. We carry it. It grows in the soul, like hope. It flowers and develops. And what makes people interesting, what makes good educators, good empathizers, good explorers, um, is is this is this interest, this acceptance that that we that we are a collage ourselves being added to, as we go along. I I loathe this this idea of moving on, and I also loathe the idea that grief is just a sad period, a bit like people that don't understand, mm -hmm. you know, there are people that cannot understand depression. Why aren't you getting, be why aren't you getting better or doing anything to fix it or anything like that? And, and I worry about that, 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 that failure. Um, and so it's like a not a train track. I never mm -hmm. wanted these boys to be on a forward progression. I wanted it to be organic and sideways. And, th and, and that in itself becomes a movement forward because that's, th the grief is, mourning is time disrupted is time violated you you get the you know suddenly you realize a week has passed suddenly you realize my kids have grown up without their mum and yeah. we must have done this somehow yes. i must have made 14000 pack lunches mm -hmm. um and look i've got a new girlfriend or look 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 my parents have, are now old mm. uh, all these things that 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 you you're not you can't we all should have the crow in our minds to distract us shove us push us um I, I, I hope I would never encourage someone to crack on. No. But what about you, yourself? I mean, since your, um, <laughs> your father died, right, yes, when you were small. And how did you, did you carry the grief with you all along? Did thi writing this make a change for you when it comes to your own grief? Was this sort of like... A conclusion? Yeah, or? in some ways. I certainly felt I'd, I'd scratched an itch, possibly. Mm. I'd written, you know, like, I, it, I, I feel bad I never wrote better letters to people, and I feel like mm. I've written a letter yes. now to him and to my brother about him. There, there are, I mean, my grandmother is a person I loved very much, a tough Welsh woman. She's in there too, or she's somebody. In there, well, okay. She's in there yeah. a little bit, yeah. Mm. But I mean, so my, my mourning for her is, is, is joyful. Yes. I celebrate her and I and I and I try to connect my feeling for her. It's almost ritualistic. I pour myself a, like a pint of red wine and think about her and celebrate her and connect my feeling about her, my suspicion of some of her hypocrisies and and back into my life. But I think we should be doing that anyway mm -hmm. as a, as a, as a society should be doing that a bit better. Mm -hmm. I don't think we mourn particularly well because I don't think we connect our mourning or our or our commitment to never do that atrocity again with our with our forward motion. Mm. I mean, I have a, a thing that I bang on about, but I think it's sort of one of the most depressing things about now is that you would see a politician who would be a part, visibly a part of the commemoration industry, photographed wearing the flower, who would then go and have dinner with the arms trade mm. and sell cluster bombs to Saudi Arabia to drop on Yemen. I, I cannot forgive that. Um, and I think it points to a, la a laziness in all, in all of us. I, I you know, Yes, I felt very, very, very sad about my dad mm. all through my childhood. Yes. Because I felt, and, and I had children young to continue his, uh, his business. Yes, you've spoken about that as well. That we were very broody, my brother and I. Yes. Yeah, we, we, you know when people say, what would you want to do? And, and I grew up with people that would say things like, I'd like an 18-hole golf course <laughs> in my garden. <laughs> and I'd think, oh, Christ. I, I want just a baby's mm. great. I want to be back in the woods 
howling and yowling and climbing trees with the, you know, a sense that he didn't quite, he was a really good dad and a kind and funny man who, who, who made some mistakes and wasn't around as long as he would have liked to be. Yes. And so what about your brother? The notion of truth is also... Yeah. What does your brother say about... Well, this emerged. Uh, my uh, obsession with the uh, siblings uh, emerged from a, a f of some fantastic disagreements w w about memory. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, where, and uh, this must happen to everybody with mm -hmm. siblings particularly, but you go, oh, do you remember when um, you shot me in the testicle with your <laughs> BB gun? And he says, uh, no, I remember when you shot me in, 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 the, in the eye with your BB gun. Mm -hmm. And then my mother, like a kind of uh, referee says, oh, actually, you were both asleep and I shot you, whatever it is, you know. <laughs> Knowing my mum, that would yeah, be it. Yeah. Um, but you know, why have we misremembered mm -hmm. those things? You know, early on in the book, I do that. I have these two, they both tell the story of drowning a guppy fish. And that's a, a thing that happened to my brother and I. And we, we, we killed a fish. And we killed it using our, our human intelligence. We, 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 it was in a pond and we threw stones at it and we couldn't kill it because it was too quick. And so we dammed it in smaller and smaller until it was in a space like that and then we dropped one big stone onto it. Mm. And the instant that stone hit and made that incredible <coughs> clopping noise, we both, I, I mean, I certainly remember thinking, I will never, I will never hunt an animal again. I will mm. never do this again. I feel sick. Mm. And I recognize in this precise moment that some people, men usually, must love this. What, what I feel is this nauseous um, hollowing out and commitment to not do it must, for some people, be a terrific buzz. Mm. They must think, right, now I'll go for a bison or whatever it is. And, and my brother has exactly the same memory. And we don't know how old we, are, we, were, we were or where we were, but he remembers running back across the beach thinking he would never, ever have the vocabulary to explain to our parents that we had changed, mm. that we were different children returning from that incident mm. than we were going off to it. And so I thought, well, how would he tell it and how would he tell it? And then when 10 years later... You, you retell it to each other. What's your agenda there? Have I changed aspects of that story in the retelling to my brother to get some kind of emotional hold over him or to make him love our childhood more or whatever? You know, there's sort of strange, tangled propaganda games we play <laughs> with our loved ones. But what does he <laughs> say about the book? He said, That's very good, well done. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he has a thing. Um, He's my older brother. Mm. Um, he has a thing which is a delayed emotional reaction to things, which is actually an admirable trait. I, I'm instant. I, I'll tell you right now exactly how I feel about everything mm. and then think about it a bit harder as I move mm. on and decide mm. I perhaps rushed into that. Mm. Um, my brother will go, okay. And then three months later, phone me and tell me that he was very moved by it oh. and very touched. When, when he fir I first got a copy of the book and I... We were all sat around and I showed it to him and his wife said, have you seen, it's dedicated mm. to you. And he went, yep, seen that, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that was my big moment, <laughs> you fucker. <laughs> but um, but the, the gifts that you give mm. that aren't immediately, you know, uh, how, how wise he is, in mm. fact, mm. To, to, to not not display his gratitude. He, he displays his gratitude me for something like that every day by just being the person I phone instantly mm. to talk about how I am and how I feel. And, you, know. you also have another image that's been, uh, quite a lot of people have commented on that, the, the, the fact that when you get this, when you realize this has happened uh, in the book, 
you're sort of disturbed by the fact that everything is the same. Yes. And there is no noise. Nothing happens. And then I thought, I thought of W. H. Auden, but the other way yeah. around. You know, funeral blues, yeah, because yeah. he he wonders why is there sound? It's yeah. like stop all the yeah. Whatever it is, stop all the clocks, yeah. cut off the t turn off the telephone, whatever. Yeah. But it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's just that you can't really stand the fact that the most unbelievable thing has happened, and yet you yeah. can't tell. Well, this uh, big thing. Yes. That, 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 that adults are obsessed with. Yes. That we've been, in some instances, guarded from. You know, we're not allowed to read that book because it's so sad. It's about someone dying. Yeah. Or, you know, there's a dead rabbit in the mm -hmm. forest and the boys aren't ready to see. Mm -hmm. All those sorts of, this is mm -hmm. huge thing. And yet here it is, it's happening. It's happening very close to home. It's our dad. You are seriously sitting on this bed mm. on Christmas week. And everyone's behaving so weird mm. this morning. And you are seriously telling me that he's dead. And that's it. You are telling us to put our shoes on, same shoes we wore yesterday, walk down the same stairs we walked down yesterday, get in the same car and go back and have Christmas holiday. Out, I was outraged. Yes. And I, and I think it's precisely the same thing that Auden's getting at, but as mm. you say, it's the inverse of it yes. because he's in a noisy adult world and he mm. wants his quiet. I, I specifically remember, it's one of the only true things in the book, but I didn't say it because it felt a bit too close to home. I, I, I thought there should be a brass band. Yes. I don't know why that is. Uh, from it, f again, from this kind of weird English rituals of the mm -hmm. of the fate, mm -hmm. and the tom you know that that, it, that there is always a brass band trumpling away somewhere, which means that it's a it's a big thing, it's a ceremonial thing. We've been dragged out of our lives to see it, to witness it. And uh, yeah, I don't, mm. I never will forget that. Oh. I I also thought about somebody else. I thought about David Grossman. Do you know mm -hmm. the Israeli mm -hmm. writer? Did you read his novel Falling Out of Time? No. Oh, it's not really a novel. It's also kind of a hybrid mm. sort of mix. But but it, but that's about a man who goes out. His son died, and he goes out on a journey to. Really, it's really to get back to himself. Mm. But it's also, he has a line that is, when he sort of realizes what it's all about, which is, please let me separate memory from pain. Mm. <coughs> which I think is wonderful. Yeah. And in a way, I would say that's what you are doing too, because you're dealing with memory. Mm. But by dealing with memory in the way you do, you sort of separate it from the pain in a way. It's not that the pain disappears, but yeah. you have because you have a similar. Now I have the Swedish one, but I, I you had something uh, so which has been so beautifully made. I should say, it's yes, a lovely yes, book, it's isn't very it? nice mm. because you you have. Uh, Something I'll translate it so this will be wrong now if you have the English book for you. But to my ears, it sounds exactly like the, con the forever ongoing conversation between mourning and living, between now, between then and now. Mm. It's it's the also the same thing that yeah. you don't leave it no. anywhere. You don't leave it ever. No. You don't forget, but. I think we, 
I, I, I suppose I fundamentally mm. mistrust the the idea of, of of linear time. Yes. I think that it 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 it, it robs us of so much possibility that the idea that you that that memory is this sort of dodgy trick um, that we need to that we need to lock into the photo albums or, or, or the videos on our phone mm. or whatever. I l much prefer the idea that it is stalking you, that it is swinging around. I mean, I think it's he th there's a thing somewhere where memory is hinged. And all the time in your living life, there's this thing swinging underneath you. Yes. And that it sometimes not comes up and knocks you, but that also we have our dream life and our erotic lives and our imaginary lives and our, and our yearning. You know, I think, gosh, what a complex picture it is, but you'd never guess it from the way we're all encouraged to just tr trumple around the world. Um, you know, do you remember? Yes. Do you remember? No. Uh, it's a sort of sad <laughs> result, isn't it, yes. for something as rich and dense and, and, and sort of sticky as, as, as memory is. Um, I, th I think that, 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 that what happens with this is that he, what I wanted to try and do was have a happy ending mm. um, that, that is a surprise in its forward motion, that ultimately all the things that he's been prepared not to, that, that, that there's this sort of, I'm trying to think of a sort of music, it's a, it's a little bit like um, a refrain in, in music, yes. in classical music, where you think that the refrain is going to come back, and when it does in fact come back, you're so expected, there's this sort of full body lurch of expectancy that when it is different, it, 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 it's a kind of, it, it rearranges everything you've experienced yes. before and makes you want to go back to the beginning mm -hmm. and start it. And I didn't, you know, I, I like that in a book. You know, when, you know, like in a book, when a single word sometimes, mm -hmm. you go, oh. <laughs> um, I, I, I want that delicacy, mm -hmm. and I want that delicacy in in the thinking of things as well, in the living of mm -hmm. things. Um, and I don't, and I think in our great rush, in our great sort of saturated world of content now, and everything being in a certain number of characters or fitting on a screen or or thumbs up or thumbs down or whatever, how, however we're we're encouraged to engage with the world, I think what we're lacking is 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 a space and time for a little bit more delicacy. Yes, and I'd like that with our memories a bit more as well. Um, I'd, I'd like that, I mean, it's history really, isn't it? I'd like that we didn't just have a winner and a loser. Yes. You know, I'm always the tiresome one come, come Remembrance Sunday that reminds everyone that we firebombed Dresden and mm. let's not rush to, to, to have goodies and baddies anymore because that's for, that's for simple folk and mm. we're not simple folk. We've oh. got to not be simple mm. about these important things. But you have to write more, right? You are writing something else or... <laughs> <laughs> The way you speak about I'm it. I'm not, you're not, but I will. You yes. know, I've got a day job and mm. um, and lovely children. And but I you don't want, want to do it for the sake of it. No. I want it to come yes. pouring out. But I, I have a thing I want to write. Mm. Very much want mm. to write. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to. Yes. Mm. I look forward to it. Thank yes. you. <laughs> I'm drawing. That's how I start. Yes. I start with drawings. Mm. And the book, the copy of this book that I had carried around with me all last year, the hardback, is now full, like a sketchbook of, mm. of diagrams and ideas. And they don't mean anything to anybody else, but when I look at them, I, I, I you feel know what really <laughs> ready to get cracking. Yes. Mm. Should you do the other reading, the, the ending of the book? I think I'm, I'm looking, I see the time is flying away here. Well, if I'm allowed huh? to, I yes. will. Yes, I think you, yes, I know you want to hear this. It's the very end. Um, yes. Huh? I, I've been asked to read the end. Yes, um, I asked to. <laughs> I was going to make it. I was going to shift the blame, like it was oh. some kind of stage manager. <laughs> no, but I, I'm, I, 
I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to take it. I'm happy to do it for <laughs> you because yes. I, I, I'm touched that you'd want it. Mm -hmm. um, I'll go as fast as I can. Boys. This is what we know of Dad. He was a quiet boy. He drifted off on family walks. He doodled and drew, and his feelings were easily hurt by rough kids at school. He did not have a head for sums. He spent the first 20 years of his life reading books, being not bad but not skilled at football, and waiting for mum. He loved the Greek myths and Russians and Joyce. He was waiting to be our dad. And then our mum and dad were in love, and they were truly dry stone, strong and durable. And people speak of ease and joy and spontaneity. And the fact that their two smells became one smell, our smell, us. Afterwards, he was quieter. He was, for two or three years, by all accounts, very odd. He had the perpetual look and demeanor of someone floating, turning in the beer gold light of evening and being surprised by the enduring warmth, a rolled-over shoulder, half-squint, half-smile, caught baffled by the perplexing slow release of sadness forever and ever and ever which I suppose, looking back, was because of us. He couldn't rage. He couldn't want to die. He couldn't rail against an absence when it was grinning, singing, freckling in the English summer, tweedledee, tweedledum, right in front of him. Perhaps if Crow taught him anything, it was a constant balancing. For want of a less dirty word, faith. A howling sorry, which is yes, which is thank you, which is onwards. Dad. My little book on Ted Hughes did well enough. It got reviewed in the TLS. In its point-blank refusal to be constructively critical either of Ted Hughes or his poems, it may certainly delight true fans of both. My scruffy Manchester-based publisher took me for lunch. I told him my idea for a complete works of Ted Hughes, annotated by Crow. How about a book on Basil Bunting, he said. I explained that Crow would violate, illustrate, and pollute Ted's work. It would be a deeper, truly wild analysis, a critical reckoning and an act of vengeance. It would be a scrapbook, a collage, a graphic novel, a dissolving of the boundaries between forms because Crow is a trickster. He's ancient and postmodern, illustrator, editor, vandal. Yes, shall we get the bill, said my publisher. You have to move on. So I went home to talk to Crow about parting company. I couldn't find him. I did find that the boys had flung wet balls of toilet paper onto the bathroom ceiling, which pissed me off because I told them that it stained the paint, and by the time I cleaned it up and cooked their dinner and put them to bed, I realised, of course, that Crow was gone. Crow. Permission to leave? I'm done. Shall I final walk the loop, the boy's dad boundary? Hop, look, hop, stop. Shall I final follow hunches, mourn, hunt with pack lunches? I dreamt her arm was blue when I found her, red where I touched, reacted, peck a little anything, non-such, map podginess gave way to bone, accident in the home. She banged her head, dreamed a bit, was sick, slept, got up and fell, lay down and died. A trickle of blood from an ear. Hop, look, sniff, taste, fat or not, total waste. Lifeless cheek, lifeless shin, foot, toe, wedding ring, smile. The medics arrive, the kids at school are learning, learning. As you were, English widower, foliate head, the undercliff of getting on, groans, humps, huffs and puffs, wages, exams, ball drops, lies, ecstatic passages. 
All dread dead as the wildflower meadow starts again in proper time. Some dads do this, some dads do that. Some natural evil, some fairly kind. Pollarded, bollarded, was it ever thus? Elastic snaps, a sniff and a sneeze and we're gone. Coppiced to grow well. Connoisseurs they were of how to miss a mother. My absolute pleasure. Just be good and listen to birds. Long live imagined animals. The need, the capacity. Just be kind and look out for your brother. Boys. Dad said it was high time we sprinkled Mum's ashes. He phoned the school in the morning to tell them we had a sick bug. I'm in a plague house, he joked with the secretary. It's bad in here. They've got it both ends, if you know what I mean. Gross. We laughed. Out you hop, kids. Coats on, haps on. Let's do it. Dad. We went to a place she loved. I told him in the car on the way that I realised I had been an unusual dad since mum died. They told me not to worry. I told them all that nonsense about Crow was over. I was going to get some more teaching work and stop thinking about Ted Hughes. They told me not to worry. We parked the car and walked diagonals into the wind. We pissed and the wind blew our wee back against our trousers. While the boys were digging in the shingle, I dozed off and when I woke up, they were asleep next to me like guards with their hoods up. I was warm. I didn't wake them. I walked to the shoreline. I knelt down and opened the tin. I said her name. I recited Love Song, a poem I like a great deal, but she never thought much of. I apologized for reading it and told myself not to worry. The ashes stirred and seemed eager, so I tilted the tin and I yelled into the wind, I love you, I love you, I love you. And up they went, the sense of a cloud, the failure of clouds, scientifically quick and visually hopeless, a murder of little burnt birds flecked against the grey sky, the grey sea, the white sun, and gone. And the boys were behind me, a tide wall of laughter and yelling, hugging my legs, tripping and grabbing, leaping, spinning, tumbling, stumbling, roaring, shrieking. And the boys shouted, I love you, I love you, I love you. And their voice was the life and song of their mother. Unfinished, beautiful, everything. Thank you. Yes, now <laughs> I get tears in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs>